Welcome to Women on the Line, a community radio national women's current affairs program produced at 3CR Community Radio in Melbourne and broadcast on the Community Radio Network. I'm Emma Hart. The independent review into out-of-home care clearly, clearly shows and states that the system is dysfunctional. So we have a system that's dysfunctional and their answer to fixing that is to adopt our babies out. Well, it's not the answer. They're our babies and they've stolen enough. They need to stop and they need to listen to us as a people. Women on the Line acknowledges that this program is produced and presented on the land of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nations and that their sovereignty was never ceded. We acknowledge their elders past, present and becoming, as well as the traditional owners of the land on which you're hearing us from. December 10 is Human Rights Day, and this week on Women on the Line, we look at a human rights issue that is very close to home. The rising number of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander children in out-of-home care in Australia, and what this means for these young people, their families and communities. Recent changes to legislation made by the state government in New South Wales will have serious consequences for First Nations communities. And in light of this, we'll hear from Dana Clark, ABSEC Chair and CEO of Burundala Aboriginal Corporation, Auntie Hazel Collins, founder of Grandmothers Against Removal, and Muriel Bamblett, CEO of the Victorian Aboriginal Childcare Agency and recently appointed chair of the Secretariat for National Aboriginal Islander Childcare. This is Dana Clark. My name's Dana Siren Clark and I'm a Waramai woman from the mid-north coast of New South Wales. I'm the current chair of ABSEC in New South Wales and I'm also the CEO of Burundalai. So for our listeners who might be listening further afield, what is ABSEC and what do you do? And also could you talk about Burundalai a little bit too? Sure. Um, ABSEC is the peak organisation in New South Wales that represents our families and our children and our communities. It's almost like an Aboriginal child protection agency and we actually inform government about decisions that we should be making as Aboriginal people. We also inform, you know, write papers around their legislative changes and meet regularly with government. Um, Burundalai, and actually I work on Dungadi land and Burundalai means dream for children in Dungadi and we're an out-of-home care service or foster care service, but for a very long time we've been working in this space and we look after almost 300 Aboriginal children, young people and their families. But what we've realised over time is that foster care is not the option for our children. Actually working before our kids come into care and working with our families and our communities to keep our kids and families together is what's important. Mm. Let's uh, start with the Children and Young Persons Care and Protection Amendment Bill, which was passed in New South Wales Parliament on November 22nd. Could, could you tell us about that bill and what it means? Well, yeah. Um, well, what the bill effectively does, uh, New South Wales government um, has uh, started, I guess, a, a campaign of permanency for children and young people in the out-of-home care sector, which was informed by the Turing report that for a very long time and still really has been kept secret. No one's actually seen it. And what, what the current changes to the, um, the Children and Young Persons Care and Protection Act does is effectively allow for us as Aboriginal people adoption of our kids to non-Aboriginal people. And I guess in a nutshell, it, it takes away the power or any kind of influence that Aboriginal families have in decision-making. And this is not just Aboriginal kids, this is a, um, for all children and young people and families. 
but for me it's particularly relevant for our kids because what can happen is um, our kids can be openly adopted they can be adopted by non-aboriginal families and they can have their names changed on their birth certificates they can have their birth parents changed on their birth certificates so to me what it's actually effectively doing is creating another stolen generation and what uh, New South Wales government have, what they, the PSP as they call it, which is the Permanency Support Program, which is they're talking about permanency for Aboriginal children and government's idea at the moment is that permanency for kids is adoption. And there's like a system of hierarchy where they talk about, you know, should be um, family first, should be restoration, should be then guardianship. And we have a really strong stand on guardianship too because guardianship in New South Wales means that any person, significant person, can put up their hand to have, have orders made that gives guardianship of our children to non-Aboriginal people as well as Aboriginal people, but there's actually no monitoring of that. So the guardianship orders are something that we've been fighting for government to actually monitor more heavily. And then from guardianship you go to adoption and foster care or kinship care is the last option. So adoption is before actually putting our kids with family in the, in the current changes to the legislation. Yeah, and it's very disempowering for families because families don't have to agree. They don't have to. And, and they want this all to happen. Orders for children need to be finalised within two years. So when you're looking at some of our families where money should have been put in at the front end before you know, kids were removed or before you know, we've had 40 reports on a family, our families need that time to be able to you know, have the early interventions and, and to get the work done to be able to keep our kids together. But our communities need to make those decisions, not government. Mm. I think it's 37% of all young people in care are Aboriginal and Aboriginal children are about 5% of under-18s in New South Wales. Absolutely. So it's, it's really... It is, it is currently about, well, you may as well say 40%, but there's a whole lot of, I guess, hidden figures in that with the way government counts numbers because, to me... Uh, they don't deem adoption or guardianship as foster care or um, out-of-home care now. So, you know, government in New South Wales will say that we've had this huge reduction where we actually haven't. They've just shunted it kind of sideways. It's a bit like the old, you know, shuck and jives. It, it's almost become, um, you know, the the body that they've actually funded in New South Wales to push this is called My Forever Family. I just think this whole push around, you know, my forever family. I mean, the RSPCA used, uh, for dogs, they used a term called my forever home. And to me, it's this whole um, government, you know, push is something that's not based in fact either because they've done this in the UK and they've done it in the United States. And they know that adoption doesn't work. They know that these kids come back into the system further traumatised because the adoption process actually removes children from everything that they know and love and it pulls away their, their history, it takes away the spirit of who they are, it takes away their connections, it takes away their belonging. And I think we then end up again with a whole other generation of people having babies without being able to parent because they have no sense of identity either and they can't instill that in their kids. And and that, to me, is what's very, very sad. And we had a wonderful report that was called the Bringing Them Home Report 21 years ago that actually talked mm. about exactly what we're talking about now. 1997. Yeah, yeah, 21 years ago. And no one, no one, you know, huge parts of that have not been implemented. And, you know, 
we do have the Aboriginal placement principles that are, um, you know, they've been in practice for a long time, over 20 years. But there's no, you know, government and child protection agencies, statutory ones in New South Wales, don't really adhere to the Aboriginal placement principles. And, and there's no monitoring. What happens if you don't? To me, you know, government is very remiss in the fact that there's no comeback for us if they don't adhere to the placement principles mm-hmm. and there's orders made. And families have, have, have their right to be able to comment on whether their children are adopted or placed in where they're placed. There's no self-determination whatsoever and that's been stripped away. And I think, especially with this like, legislative change, I think Victoria is much better at self-determination for Aboriginal people at the moment in regard to our children and our communities. You've already touched on some of the context here, but I'd just like to go into that a little further. So you mentioned the Tune Report, which was done in 2016 as a review of child protection services conducted by former federal public servant David Tune. Now, that report is still being, that's the basis for these changes, but that report is still being kept secret by the New South Wales government. Is that right? Well, it's been released to Parliament and technically hasn't been released to anyone. But what what Tune actually said is the child protection system costs too much. Um, and that, you know, the out-of-home care sector, uh, it costs too much. And, look, in all honesty, I'll agree with him. I, I agree, it does cost too much. But you can't create a system, which is what the New South Wales government did in 2012, an out-of-home care system where there was no way for kids to actually be restored. Um, there wasn't a focus. It was There was purely a focus on the out-of-home care sector as opposed to looking at the early intervention space and doing work with our families there. So Tune actually says that in the report, but what's happened in New South Wales is a whole lot of the um, early intervention funding. 83% of the money spent on child protection goes to the out-of-home care system, not early intervention. So that leaves Mm -hmm. 70%. So that doesn't make sense to me. When our kids are so overrepresented within the system, and, you know, to give people opportunities Government also fails to take into consideration our past history and what's happened to Aboriginal people previously and the, the impact of that, you know, the impact of our families being removed. Every family, Aboriginal family in Australia has been affected by the stolen generations. And when people are institutionalised and when people, they want to have families, so they have families, but when you're not taught how to parent or know how to parent, then of course there's going to be difficulties, and which now, you know, gets to where we are. Uh, and I think... For me, what I've realised, and we've realised very early, is that we need to work at it as a community to address some of these issues. And it needs to be Aboriginal people making those decisions about Aboriginal children, not government, who don't know the intricacies of our family networks or our, their kinship systems. Um, it should be local people that are doing that. And best practice tells me that our agency starts to work with kids and families before we move the kids not after we've moved the kids and with an expectation that we can fix a family in 12 weeks because that's the programs that they set up, you know. And I actually watched the debate in Parliament when they were pushing through the changes to the legislation and Prue Goward, who's our Minister for Community Services here, actually said that we were ignorant and ill-informed mm-hmm. about the legislation, which I found really offensive to kind of say that as Aboriginal people, we're ignorant about being Aboriginal. Um, I find that that's just very typically arrogant of government who seem to think they know everything about us. 
I understand that ABSEC took out full-page newspaper ads ahead of the vote in Parliament and there's also a petition. What can listeners do if they want to voice their objection to the, these changes? They can go to the ABSEC webpage and it's just, you know, key in ABSEC and it will come up and there is a petition that comes up on the homepage straight away. You can go on there and lodge your... Um, your dissatisfaction at the government's legislative changes. And, look, you know, I I actually take my hat off to the opposition because they really gave it a a really big fight. They did actually listen to us. But this has been going on for probably... We knew this was coming, and ABSEC's been fighting this fight for about 18 months. And I'm not so sure that people actually really understand what what the ramifications of this are going to be if this government stays in office. Um, Labor did make a commitment that if they got into power, they would actually rescind the legislation straight away. But again, governments are not always known to tell the truth either. So, um, yeah, I just think it's a very... It's frightening to me. It's really frightening because I just... We we won't even know, and neither will birth families at the time until after the paperwork's done and the kids are adopted. And... As an Aboriginal person, my name is everything to me. And if someone can change that and take that from me, I, I can't imagine what life would be. my life would be like. I wouldn't be me. I would be someone else. Women on the Line. On community radio around Australia, you're listening to Women on the Line. We're bringing you a discussion of the impact of recent changes to child protection legislation by the New South Wales government and the rising number of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander children in out-of-home care. You were just listening to Dana Clark. This is Arnie Hazel Collins. My name is Arnie Hazel Collins. I'm a Gomorrah woman from New South Wales. Thanks for joining us on the program today, Arnie Hazel. And you're the founder of Grandmothers Against Removal. Could you tell us a bit about Grandmothers Against Removal and what you do? I started Grandmothers Against Removals in January of 2014 when my last little grandson was removed from his mum. She already had three other children in out-of-home care and we had our first rally on the 13th of February in Sydney out front of Parliament House um, to expose the, I call the crimes of, of the department taking our children. They don't only just take them from, say, mum and dad, they take them from the whole of family. And so I I started this to try and empower other families that are affected by this. It's it's a devastating thing to have ha- have your babies taken away from you and put with other communities, not necessarily Aboriginal families. They're placed with whoever, and it's a crime. What they do is a crime. And my own daughter fought for seven years to get her children back. There are many families out there that are fighting a, a lot longer than that. Some don't never come home. Mm. And, and it's just devastating. It's, it's genocide, what they're doing. Their practices go back to when the protection board was put in place. The protection board was based on genocide. And they are still operating under that today, and it needs to stop. And this is why I thought if people saw me up there as a little old nana, it it would empower them to also stand up and have a voice, more importantly, to 
give their children a voice. The children don't have a voice. We have a responsibility to them to give them that, to bring them home. And that's what Grandma's Against Removals is all about, bringing these babies home and stopping the theft of our children. You and your daughter, Helen, have obviously had a very personal experience where, as you said, it took seven years for Helen to regain custody of all of her children through the system. The Children and Young Persons Care and Protection Amendment Bill, as it is known, which was passed in the New South Wales Parliament on November 22nd, um, one yeah. of the changes in that bill is that it imposes two-year deadlines on permanency decisions around a- adoption. H- how would that have impacted your own personal story? I do, I do still have a little great-grandson that, that is in, in out-of-home care um, that we're trying to get home. It, it, it is absolutely devastating from personal viewpoint I, I truly don't know what, as his great-grandma, what what I would do. Um, I, I really wouldn't want to wake up to know that we'd never see him again, that he's out there, but we're never going to see him. One day I'm going to be part of his ancestral footprint, and for him to be adopted, he's never going to know about his culture, his heritage, his family, what's important to him, what being an Aboriginal person means. It's not something that you can teach in a book. It's a lived experience. I was once asked, what does it mean to be Aboriginal? For once in my life, I was totally speechless. I, I didn't know what to say because it's it's the essence of who you are. How do you explain an essence, a, a living? I did my best, but it was a non-Aboriginal person asked me, so I switched and said, what does it mean to be non-Aboriginal? And she didn't know what to say. Being Aboriginal is not something that you can teach in a book. It's living it's it's waking up, it's breathing, it's every every part of your body. And for, to think that my grandson one day might not grow up to be a proud Aboriginal person and walk beside my footprints is devastating. And no doubt other families out there are feeling the same. It takes away every right that that child is born with, every child that is born in this, into this world, no matter what culture, they have rights. And this government is taking away their rights, more importantly. They're taking away the essence of who their families are. They're taking away the will to carry on. They did, they did not listen to the words of the older stolen generation, of the pain and suffering that they went through in not being able to come home, not being able to connect, or coming home and their families are not there, they're they're no longer living. They're doing the same thing to these babies. It doesn't give families time. As I said, my own daughter fought for seven years. That's well outside the two-year time frame. 
these governments are condoning and legalised. It's legalised genocide. We are meant to be the lucky country. Well, it depends on whether you're First Nation or not, whether this is actually, in fact, a lucky country. I'm sorry you're having that experience with your great-grandson, Aunty Paisel. Thanks for sharing that with us. Um, I mean, what message would you send to the New South Wales government about the importance of Aboriginal culture and kinship networks? What could they do better to listen to you and your community to get a better result for you? Well, once once in their miserable little life, they can come down off their pedestal and actually meet, meet with people. They, they will not meet with us as Grandmothers Against Removals. Um, we're, we're doing our very best to to secure meetings. Um, I, I want this legislation abolished. No child should be adopted, forcibly adopted, without at least their consent. They can take babies from the birthing table after an hour of birth. And that baby's name can be changed under this adoption. That baby can go anywhere in the world. They don't even have to acknowledge that this baby is Aboriginal. How is that humane? That these children have a right to come home. They need to stop being thieves in our homes. They need to stop the break and entering by forcibly coming into our homes and removing our children. This government need to sit down and listen to what we have to say and not just tokenistic listening. They need to really listen to what we've got to say. We love our children. You can't tell me that out there every child has two sides to their family, that there's not someone in that, in that two sides of their family that wants them. Mum and Dad are fighting for them if they're still living. The government knows exactly what they're doing. But it's up to us as Aboriginal people, First Nation, to stand together and unite on this because we're all going to be these children's ancestral footprint one day. They're going to be our future. They need us to stand up and fight for them and defy these governments, fight these governments to overturn these legislation, sit down and talk to us. That was Arnie Hazel Collins, founder of Grandmothers Against Removal. This is Muriel Bamblett. My name is Muriel Bamblett and I'm CEO of the Victorian Aboriginal Child Care Agency and recently appointed chairperson of the Secretariat for National Aboriginal and Child Care. Thanks so much for coming on the program today, Muriel. No, thanks for having me. So the context of our chat today, I suppose broadly, is the rising numbers of children in Australia and especially Indigenous children in out-of-home care um, and also the recent legislative changes in New South Wales around Mm -hmm. adoption without parental consent. And there's also the Family Matters report of 2018. Um, Perhaps we could start with... um, I mean, chat about their context a little bit. Yeah, and I mean, the Family Matters report clearly is about um, looking at the overrepresentation of Aboriginal children, the um, underrepresentation of Aboriginal families in um, 
the family support services. So um, in, in child protection, when families are seeking help, there are a number of programs and services that you can access. What we're finding is Aboriginal people aren't accessing those programs, so those early support, those um, intensive family support. And it's not until the, that um, the Aboriginal child has been removed that families access those programs, which is quite often too late. So if we look at the data from within the Family Matters report, it says that 83% of Aboriginal families are overrepresented in child protection, but only 17% of those in family services. Why, why don't Aboriginal families want to use the family support service? Why aren't they accessing it? Do they you know, feel their parenting is going to be judged? But, um, it, and so our, our real focus is how do we also get investment in those areas um, for Aboriginal families? Mm. Looking at the report, it does seem as though um, a focus on early intervention is key. Look, and I mean, I think the thing is, is that we see this you know, nationally, I think Victoria's got a greater focus on the um, early intervention. We have Aboriginal Stronger Families, Aboriginal Kinship Care programs. We have Cradle to Kinder. We have a lot of programs that are focused on keeping children out of the system. The unfortunate thing is, is that it just the numbers just keep rising in out of home care, and so it's about that we don't have restoration programs. We don't have enough of those programs across the nation. There's no consistency, and so. Um, next week, COAG is coming together to look at developing new close the gap targets. One of the targets they're looking at bringing in is to um, address the issue of the numbers of Aboriginal children overrepresented in the child protection systems at national. We think that all of the states, Commonwealth and state territories and states and territories, need to come up with better strategies to prevent Aboriginal children coming into child protection. Mm. I did notice that one of the key, well, the first key recommendation in the Family Matters report is that uh, there needs to be a development of a national comprehensive Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander children's strategy. That's right. In the, at the moment, Victoria has a children's agreement um, and it's Wangaroo Will Will Gap Gap Door and that's an agreement with the Victorian government and it asks the government to commit to reducing the number of children in care, to commit to transitioning family services back to Aboriginal services so they can do more of the work to keep children out of the system. But those are key elements of things that are happening in Victoria, but these need to be national approaches. I think the fact that, you know, if we followed what, what is in legislation at the moment, the legislation is very clear that we must comply with the Aboriginal Child Placement Principle. And complying with the Aboriginal Child Placement Principle means that Aboriginal children will be placed with Aboriginal carers in the first instance. Often that does not happen. Governments and, and systems um, go to the last option, which is to place the Aboriginal child away from family, away from community with no connection. And then two years later, when the child's been permanently planned, they're permanently planned away from their family, away from their culture, and permanently disconnected from their community and culture. Now, that does not work in the best interest of Aboriginal children. I read that, that, for example, the legislation that has been passed uh, in New South Wales recently is almost conflating two 
two different issues. There's the issue of the rising number of children, especially Aboriginal children in out-of-home care, and then there's uh, a low instance of adoptions, and it's almost as though there's been sort of political conflation of those issues. Yeah, look, and I mean, every Aboriginal service provider wants stability for Aboriginal children. We do want children to grow, have stability of knowing that the people that are looking after them will look after them for their life, not just, you know, um, for a period of time and then give them up and then somebody else. And, I mean, we know in child protection a lot of the placements break down and that people aren't able to understand. But there's also a complexity in understanding children that come into care. These are not children that are like your normal children that you bear and you grow them up. These are children that have been through huge amounts of violence and experienced neglect. And so these are children that often need special carers to look after them. And so, these, and sometimes the carers put up their hand and then um, after a period of time can't manage or cope with these children. And so we give these children back. And, and the experience of these children is, you know, traumatic because not, you know, being given back by families that have cared for you for a number of years is, is really quite distressing. But the absolute, as I said, the best bet for us is to keep children in families, to, keep, to make sure that we do the work to keep children at home. If they are unsafe, then trying as much as possible to find family to, to look after them, to place them within their Aboriginal community. But if not, then... All, anybody that we place on this has to have a commitment to making sure that those children maintain their links with their Aboriginal family, with their siblings, with their culture, do return to country, are able to keep do all those things that keep them connected to their culture and mm-hmm. who they are. Because culture builds resilience. Not knowing who you are is the biggest risk factor for Aboriginal children. Imagine not knowing who your family are. When someone says, you're Aboriginal, Who's your mob? Where are you from? What's your country? Um, and also, Aboriginal children have rights under native title. Can mention not being able to claim your heritage and your right as a traditional owner on your own country. It does seem like a really concerning repeat of the past. Yes, it does. It is. It's really concerning. The data that, and I see a number of cultural support plans, and, and the majority of those cultural support plans tell of a story of generations of removal and of us being unable to break the cycle. And I think the whole the, the picture of um, the past and the removal is severely impacting on families we're working with today. And just quickly, Muriel, I mean, at the moment, uh, Victoria and New South Wales actually have quite different approaches. Yep. Um, could, could we talk a bit more about that? Well, I think that um, Queen, you know, New South Wales has really been fighting to um, keep, you know, the adoption laws out. But I think there's a, a large numbers of um, highly political, um, you know, people wanting to push adoption. Um, and you can understand the reason. I mean, kids do need stability, but it, it's you cannot um, sever an Aboriginal child's identity. Permanent adoption has the capacity to permanently sever a child's connection to land and country. People under adoption, you can change their name. You don't have to in any way 
connect the soul to their culture. You do not have to ensure that they know where they come from or do any work to ensure they do return to country. And that severs any opportunity the child has of knowing where they come from. In child protection, we know 90% of children, when they leave care, they go home. Now, if you're a doctor, can you ever go home? No. So to me, I don't think adoption will work. We know it won't work um, for Aboriginal children because Aboriginal children always want to go home. All the work that we do with Aboriginal children, they see the thing that keeps them strongest and the thing they want more is to have a strong cultural base. That was Muriel Bamblett, and you've been listening to a discussion of the impact of recent changes to child protection legislation by the New South Wales government on First Nations communities and the rising number of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander children in out-of-home care. And that's all for Women on the Line today. Women on the Line is a community radio national women's current affairs program. It's produced and presented by a range of women broadcasters from 3CR in Melbourne and broadcast across Australia on the Community Radio Network. We greatly appreciate financial support from the Community Broadcasting Foundation. We welcome your comments or thoughts on today's show, so send us an email to womenonthelion at gmail.com or phone 3CR on 03 9419 8377. Women on the Line programs can be downloaded from our website, 3cr.org.au forward slash womenonthelion. The theme music for Women on the Line is Slideshow at Free University by La Tigra. I'm Emma Hart. Hope you can tune in again next time.